Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. So my name is Nathan Purifoy. Uh, I'm normally leading worship, singing, so if you're brand new, um, if this is your first time here, you won't be seeing me up here again for a little while in this capacity. Um, but I love getting the chance to come up here and talk with you guys. Um, so there's normally about 300 people to 400 people in a service on a Sunday morning in the building, which means we normally have 150 to 200 people that watch online each service. So they're not here, but do you guys mind welcoming them with me anyways and just letting them know that we recognize them, we know they're here, we know you're watching, you can't hide from us, yeah? I'm trying to be at home all quiet and you're, I'm just kidding, okay? Some of them might be on vacation, they might be sick, I, there's no telling, they might not live here. There's a couple people that normally watch online that are here today, my mom, and my mother-in-law, and then our friend Mary Ellen, they're all here today. Give them a round of applause. They came all the way up from North Carolina, and I never told them that I was preaching. So, um, so this, they found out when you found out. So uh, today we get an inside look at what goes on behind closed doors at Pathways. This will be a little bit of a different message than normal. We don't normally like to preach to the people that have been here a long time and ignore the new or newer people. Um, so I know it might feel like that we're that for just like portions of this message, but I wanna guarantee you right now, there is something in this message for you. This is not just for people that have been here for a long time. As a matter of fact, it actually gives you an opportunity to see kind of the things that go on behind closed doors at Pathways. If you're new and you're checking the place out, if you're watching online for the first time and you're trying to get an idea of like who we are and what we do, today's a perfect opportunity to see some of the conversations we have behind closed doors, some of the things we talk about as a staff, some of the things that's on Pastor Adam's heart on a regular basis, and kind of where we are right now um, in our world. So just stick with us. There's going to be something here for you. So to start, how many people, this is, I need a real verbal response, okay? And if I've given you this answer, maybe a couple of people in this corner, uh, maybe don't give me a verbal response. But everybody that has not heard from me, how many people do you think live in the Fox Valley? Any guesses? 75,000, what did you say? 78,000, somebody said 300,000, what do you think? 78,000. Let me tell you how many people, because you're all wrong. 400,000 people live in the Fox Valley. 400, all right, so me and Jessica, my wife, we moved up here six months ago from Central Florida. And when we made the decision to move to a small town in Wisconsin, we did not expect 400,000 people to be waiting on us, okay? We didn't know exactly what we were moving to, but we did not think it was gonna be that. So there's a lot of people here, 400,000 people. That's according to the Census Bureau. Now, we're going to talk about these 400,000 people. That's what our message is going to be about today. That's what our conversation is going to be about. So we've been in a series so far called, for the last few weeks, called More Than Ever, because we believe that more than ever, the valley, the world needs a church like Pathways, right? The world needs a group of people like you guys. The world needs us. We're in a dark time, this a tense time. The world needs people that are inviting, that are loving, that are gracious, that are forgiving, that are encouraging, that are healing, that are supportive. 
That's what the world needs. They need a place like Pathways. And the first message in this series was about the chair. The chair was talking about your individual walk with God, your individual relationship with him, and the time you spend with him on your own. Then the second message that we talked about was called the circle. He was talking about the circle. And we were talking about how we have to gather in small groups, keep an intimate group of a relationship with people around us so that we can build each other up, people that we're actually gonna do life with day to day, week to week. So we have a lot of opportunities to build your circle here at Pathways where we have small groups and we have chances to serve on a team where you get a smaller community of people. So we talked a lot about the chair uh, and then the circle. And now we're gonna talk about the row. When we talk about the row, we're talking about these seats in here. See how they're set up in rows? It makes sense, right? So that's what we're talking about today. We're gonna to talk about our condition as a church. We're also gonna talk about our relationship with the church as a whole. What happens when we get here together as the body of Christ, coming together as one, right? So our relationship with Pathways Church, and I don't just mean ours as in the staff, like our relationship right here, us in this room with Pathways Church has changed over the last two years and changed again over the last six months or so. So a couple years ago, the, the pandemic hit and it changed everything. It changed everything for us as a church, for the valley, for the world. Um, so a lot of people weren't able to come to church on Sundays. They had to be safe. They had to stay home. A lot of people weren't able to go to work. A lot of people weren't able to see their friends. So it only makes sense that our relationship with our church started to change. And then for the, the, the two years following, year and a half following that, we were in like a recovery mode. We were a recovering church. We're trying to figure out what do we do now? There's a new normal. There's like new expectations. How do we recover from this crazy blow, this overnight shift that we just all were re required to make? And then how do we like get back to some sense of normal? And then for the last six months, we realized like we are not a recovering church anymore. There's a lot of people back in the seats, um, a lot of people doing, it's not just people coming back, right? There's a lot of new people that we've never seen before. As a matter of fact, like we have a momentum that maybe we haven't had in a long time. We're not just a recovering church. Now we are a growing church. So that's the first, yeah. So that might need to be the first, if one of the first things you should know about Pathways is like we are a growing church. Um, some people have different ideas of what a growing church means, but in reality, We've got a lot of new people every single week. We are a growing church. So um, with any growing team, because you're all part of the team here, you're all part of Team Row, right? With any growing team, you kind of got to lay some, some groundwork. So the worship team has been growing, and that's the team that I've been over. So we've added, I think, 13 new band members and singers in the last six months since I've been here. So with that, so we've had to, yeah, that's a big, that's a big, big jump. So with that, we've had to have this conversation a lot, and I've had this conversation with the whole team a lot, even the people that have been here for a long time. And we've said, like, we, it matters that, uh, th this is the, the worship team talk, okay? Like, it matters that you practice. It matters that you have a good instrument, that you show up on time. That it matters that you're prepared. It matters that you know the songs. It matters that you know the words a little bit, especially if you're gonna be singing it, right? All that stuff matters. But what matters most is that we care about each other as a team. What matters most is that when somebody shows up here and they absolutely bomb the entire service, which could happen, you know? <laughs> I'm on this stage, it could totally happen. So somebody comes up here and they bomb an entire service, that there's a whole team of here of people that are gonna pick you up and encourage you and help you get better. 
And it matters that when somebody else bombs an entire service, that you're the person that's gonna pick them up, that you're gonna encourage them, and you're gonna help make them better. That's what a good team does. We care about each other. So here at Pathways Church, if you're part of this team, it might, it's nice that we wear nice clothes when we come to church. It's nice that we show up on time. It's nice that we sing out. All of that stuff matters. But what matters most is that we care about each other, right? How we interact with each other matters a lot. And what does that mean as somebody who's part of the row, somebody who's here in the seats? It means that when somebody in this church has a really terrible week, they lost a loved one, they lost their home, they lost their job, they're having an awful time at work, they're having whatever the case, they're uh, strained relationships with family, it means that we're all here to pick them up and to encourage them. It means that we're here to be supportive and we're here to care. It also means that when somebody has, now caring doesn't always mean that you can do something about it. I can't fix your problem all the time, but I can at least let you know that I'm here for you. And the same goes when somebody has something to celebrate. When somebody's got an incredible win in their life, we all celebrate with them. We cheer with them. Now, I can't always do something based on that win. Like, I'm not gonna, if you had a, just had a kid, you know, like, I'll celebrate with you, but I'm not gonna take your kid home, right, okay? I'm just gonna celebrate with you for having a kid and be like, hooray, like, the same thing goes on both sides. You can't, we can't always be active in the solution or the thing, but we can always celebrate. We can always care. We can always encourage. So that's part of, a big part of being in the row. So now, we're gonna talk about what happens, because it's important that we're already here. It's important that there's people already here, but we've already talked about how the fact that we're a growing church. So we're gonna shift a little bit into that, that perspective. We're gonna talk about Luke chapter 10, verses one through, it's actually the, about the first half of that chapter. So um, Jesus is, he has 72 disciples, some of the versions say 70, that he's about to send out in front of him to go town to town to town to town in pairs. So they're going to go two by two. And they're going to go to all these different towns that Jesus is going to visit. And they're going to start preaching. They're going to let people know that Jesus is coming. They're going to end up performing miracles. They're going to end up doing a lot of awesome stuff, but they're going to end up preaching and kind of like letting people know that Jesus is coming. It's kind of like a street team. Does anybody know what a street team is? Anybody here? Now, like in the 90s in the punk rock scene, like the the group of people I grew up with playing punk in like the late 90s and early 2000s, if you had a band, you would, you're going to go play like an hour away, I promise you, as a high schooler in the 90s. I did not have fans an hour away, okay? So what we did is like the two or three people that even knew who we were in that town, we would tell them like, dude, go around town, like hand out these really terrible flyers I made at my mom's office, <laughs> like, um, and then like pass them out to everybody. Tell everybody that we're coming. That's going to be an awesome show. And that's our street team. They would go ahead of us. They would let everybody know that we're coming. And then people might, probably not, but might show up to the show. You know what I'm saying? So this is what the disciples are doing. These 72 disciples are going out ahead of Jesus. They're passing out flyers. They're telling people Jesus is coming, trying to build a little hype, build a little anticipation. Because you know what? Something really special happens when you anticipate that Jesus is going to be there. When you anticipate, when you have anticipation that Jesus is gonna show up. Like every single week, we come here on Sunday mornings, and some of us, we get up on a Sunday morning, we put our clothes on, we get in the car, we drive here, and we don't think about it too much. Some of us are anticipating this every single week. We're thinking about like when Sunday gets here. Or if you invited a friend, you invited somebody new. They haven't gotten used to the boring get up every Sunday, put on the same clothes and show up. They're coming anticipating something. It might be weird, it might be new, 
but they're anticipating something. Something happens when you anticipate Jesus showing up, when you anticipate him being around. So that's what these disciples are doing. They're building anticipation. In chapter 10, this is Luke chapter 10, verse one, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That sounds like the Fox Valley. That sounds like the 400,000. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Then Jesus goes on and gives directions on how to conduct themselves while they're out doing this. He tells them what to do whenever they're greeted by somebody new in the town, what to, how to um, act whenever they're offered to stay in somebody's house. When they're, given, he, they're just given some instructions on how to conduct themselves. And they go on, they do this trip, and then they come back to Jesus. And in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit to us in your name. Now we're gonna talk for just a second about like the hierarchy of miracles, the scale of miracles. Like if somebody gets healed, somebody's you know, got some kind of physical ailment and they pray for him and he gets healed, that's a big deal. That's pretty high up on this list of cool miracles. But then if they bring someone back from the dead, all right, so there's a lot of symptoms like leprosy has all these crazy sores and boils and stuff that might show up in your sin. Death is a symptom that doesn't normally go away, right? So if you bring someone back from the dead, that's a much higher, uh, higher level of miracle than just healing somebody. But then above that, at the very top, is casting out demons, exercising demons, so in their time, they considered this a huge miracle, the top of the top. This is like the most authority, because like, it's interesting, it, it's nice, it's obvious, clear, that they would have authority over the physical body. If they're listening to God, they're following God, they're ordained by God, that they would have authority over the human body, the physical body. But to have authority over the spiritual world, and then not only that, to have authority over enemies in the spiritual world is a big deal. So if they're sharing stories about demons and how the demons reacted to them, then it's probably safe to assume that, we saw, that they saw a bunch of other miracles too. They might've seen somebody who had leprosy be healed. They might've seen a blind person see or blind people, multiple, or uh, crippled people walk. They might've seen someone come back to life. Who knows what kind of miracles this group saw? I can only imagine exactly what it was like standing there telling all these stories with these 72 people. Now, I am a storyteller. Uh, Emily likes to point that out on a regular basis. Emily's always like, Nathan's got a story for everything. She's like, I came in and said my sunburnt was, or my back was sunburnt. And he's like, that reminds me. You know, like I do have a story for everything. Um, so we're gonna have a little segment of this message called Story time with Nate. Are you guys okay with that? Can we share a little story? Okay, my granddad, Papa Mac, that's what we called him, Papa Mac. Uh, he was a white man from North Carolina. That's not really an important detail, but everybody asks me if he was Navajo whenever I tell this story, and he was not Navajo, just a white dude from North Carolina. Um, so I figured I'd just go ahead and get that out the way, okay? Just letting you know, because someone's gonna walk up to me and ask. Um, so... He, uh, 
He was a pastor for almost 70 years. When he was in his 30s, he moved to northern Arizona to the Navajo Reservation as a missionary. And on the reservation, they didn't have a lot of amenities and comforts that you have in the rest of the country. Um, a matter of fact, it was a lot like living in a third world. Um, it was a really hard place to live. And it was really impoverished. Um, and it's in the high desert too, which means that the weather was very extreme. Um, it, was, it, it was not very supportive of the life around there. So my dad always told me growing up that summers were really hard and winters were harder. Because if, if a snow comes in and shuts off access to the town, all their food comes from outside. All their water comes from outside, everything they have. So if they get shut off access from town, if their power goes out, if there's no fixing it for a long time. So it was a hard place to live. There's this one particular Navajo witch doctor that lived just a few miles away from my granddad, uh, knew who he was. I don't know exactly how familiar they were. I didn't get that detailed in the story, okay? So uh, one winter night, in the middle of a bad snowstorm, this witch doctor woke up because of the storm. He went to check on his young baby girl, and he found that earlier that night during the storm, her window had broken right over her bed, and she froze to death in her bed because of the storm. This witch doctor had his own beliefs, his own rituals, things he might do in a situation like this. Um, but he actually picked up his dead girl and carried her body in the snow and walked to my granddad's house in the middle of the night. Knocks on the door, wakes my granddad up, wakes my dad up. I imagine he woke my grandmom up, but she's not part of the story, so I'm not sure, okay? So he woke my granddad up, he answers the door, and my dad, um, he told me from his perspective, my granddad's told me from his perspective, my dad, I guess, was standing in the corner watching all of this happen. And the witch doctor didn't speak any English, my granddad didn't speak any Navajo. He just took his baby girl, then he held her out and handed her to my granddad. My granddad took her, and all he did was walk down the hall. He didn't start praying. He didn't sing a worship song. He didn't start a text chain with the prayer group. He just cried. And when he got back to the front door, he handed this dad a living, breathing, warm baby girl. Now, you guys don't know my granddad. You've never heard of him before. It won't be long till there's not people that know who he is. He's gonna be forgotten one day. These 70 disciples, the interesting thing about these 70 or 72 disciples is that we're never even given their name. We don't have a clue who they are. These are people who have been forgotten through time. History has no way of letting us know. Now, we can assume some of them might have been the 12 disciples. Probably not all 12 of the disciples went on this trip. Some of them probably stayed with Jesus. We don't know, though, for sure. We can assume some of them might have been some of the characters we see later in Jesus' life that come in and out and do different things and some of the disciples that went out with, to ministry work later on. There's no telling. But for this story, they never tell us a single one of these people. These people are casting out demons. These people are doing the greatest of the great miracles, and we have no idea who they even are. Some of these dudes got regular jobs. They got regular weird families, you know? They're just regular people. These are the most ordinary. These are ordinary people that were called to do extraordinary things. That's who these were. They weren't doctors and lawyers. They weren't rich people. They weren't 
pastors, they weren't the Sadducees and Pharisees, they weren't the rabbis. These are just regular people, nobodies, 72 nobodies that were sent out to do this incredible work. Some of us in this room, we think we're unqualified or we've been disqualified. We think we're talentless. We think we're too broken. We think we're not good enough to do something to contribute to Jesus, to the kingdom, to heaven. But Jesus has called you to be a contributor. Look at this in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. It says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now that sounds a little bit like a brag, right? Jesus is like, like, oh yeah, you cast out a couple demons. I watched Satan fall from heaven, okay? It's so like, that's cute that you did some cool things, but I, Satan fell out of heaven and I watched that happen. So he's like, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Look at this one thing he said. He said, I have given you authority. These are the people, 70 people, 72 people that were given the authority, 72 nobodies, and we think we're unqualified. We're here today in this place, in this time, and what better thing is there for us to do than to God to ask us, than for God to ask us to build his kingdom? That's what he's doing. He's looking at us and he says, I have given you authority. This isn't for the people that are on stage at church, the pastors, the people that are on staff. This is for all the people that don't have their names on the screen. This is for all the people that think they've been disqualified and think they aren't good enough. This is for us, the collective body of Christ together, that God has given us the authority. God has given us the authority to make an eternal impact. Building the kingdom is not just for the staff. It's not just for pastors. And this is what it looks like to make an eternal impact from the row. Hey, my name is Joe. I have a wife, Steph, and a son, Lincoln. And we recently started attending Pathways. You know, with the pandemic, um, it was about two years where we kind of fell out of regularly attending church. We knew that as Lincoln got older, um, he was four, we needed to get him into somewhere where um, it can kind of partner with us trying to raise him to know who Jesus is. So the first time we brought Lincoln to Pathways, we get here, we're checking Lincoln in, it's five minutes after, we're always running late, and our friends say, hey, we saved you a seat. And the power of somebody saving a seat really hit me in that moment. It wasn't just I was coming to sit and listen to a message, but I was coming to sit and be with my friends. You know, this was the first time that somebody saved a seat for me. I grew up going to church. I grew up, uh, my parents kind of dragged me along. And then I kind of fell away. I had a choice of whether or not I was gonna go and I stopped going. You know, my first experience coming to church as an adult was an invite from a friend to run camera at a church. I met my wife because she worked at that church. It's kind of funny because I would run camera and she would do announcements and I'd have the camera, I'd be looking and she'd be right there and I'm like, I wanna know you, and she had no idea that I even existed. But when we got married a few years later, our wedding was the first time that the friends who saved a seat for us here met. They're now married with two beautiful kids. Part of why we wanted to bring Lincoln here is because of their family. You know, when I think about the chairs that we sit in on a Sunday, 
You know, it's a place where someone might hear the life-changing hope of Jesus for the first time. They're not regular shares. It's where parents can sit as they bring their kids to experience Jesus in a new way. You know, the day after we brought Lincoln, we knew this is a place we wanted to check out and keep coming and checking out because he asks us, why did God make us? You know, he's never asked a question like that. The invite that you can have with your friends has ripples beyond what you can imagine. So to make an eternal impact, you don't always have to raise somebody from the dead or heal somebody who's sick or cast out demons. Sometimes all it takes is an invite to make an eternal difference. Just letting someone know that you're saving them a seat. That that seat beside you is open, you're gonna keep it open. You might fight somebody away from it even. <laughs> I've seen it. This church, you people are vicious. So... I know that you might save a seat for somebody. Building the kingdom of heaven can just be saving a seat. Right underneath you, if you sat on it and weren't paying attention, or maybe right beside you, there's a little card. It's our fall kickoff card. If you don't, um, this card is, if you don't have one right by you, you can look at one of the other seats that are empty before you leave today. But um, this card is not for you to keep. It's not for you to put up on your refrigerator. I guess you could if you want to take an extra one from somewhere else. But this card is not for you to keep. This card is for you to give to somebody else, okay? For you to invite somebody who doesn't come to church with you right now, somebody new, one of the 400,000 people that aren't here. You know what I mean? Um, and we're not like, you know what? Pathways has to be 400,000 people strong. We have to be the biggest church in America. That's not what this is about. What we're doing this with these cards is giving you an opportunity, an easy in to be bold, an easy in to encourage you, to empower you guys to have an opportunity to save someone a seat. You never know how those ripples are gonna go out and affect those people's lives. And it's worth giving it a try, saving their seat. That's all it takes to start making a difference. We want to be the church that invites people, that welcomes people, that loves people, and that builds people up. You're not underqualified to make that kind of a difference or to invite somebody here. In Luke 10, chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus keeps going. So he already bragged about casting Satan out of heaven. And now he's like, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Like we do celebrate when incredible things happen. We cheer, but that's not the biggest thing to celebrate. The biggest thing to celebrate is that your names are written in heaven. So how many people in the Fox Valley do you think have their names written in heaven? How many of them? Let's just look at some numbers for a second. And I can't look at every church, but I can look at pathways. So uh, I'll tell you some numbers that we have here at least. And this year, since January 1st to now, we have 139 first-time guests. Now, that's people that have registered, given us their name, that have taken a little gift bag, given us a chance to email them. Um, out of that 139, we've had 48 new families. And we've had 40, that's a big deal, right? Because of those, we've had 40 people that have attended Newish. If you don't know what Newish is, maybe you should go. So 
Um, Newish is our little class that we do ever so often, letting you know a little more about the church. If you've only, if this is like your first time here, um, or if you've only been for the last couple months and you haven't watched or haven't been to this class yet, we you can register out in the lobby and uh, come to Newish. You get to meet the pastor, you get to chat with him a little bit, and just hear more about our heart, our history. But we've had 40 people come to Newish, and those numbers are cool. That tells you a little bit about how like we're a growing church, and we can use that as a little bit of encouragement, but that's not the main thing that we want to celebrate. Look at this number. We have had 278 people that have decided to give their life to Christ. That's students, that's teenagers, that's adults in this room, 278. And we haven't done this because of how talented Adam is or because of how talented I am or the rest of the team or how incredible the staff is. We've done that not on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices and obedience of many. That's how we've done that. That's how we've made that kind of an impact. It's because of what all of us do together. So let's forget about pathways for a minute. Let's talk about the whole valley. We've already established there's 400,000 people. Did I skip something? I totally did, I'm sorry. There's something that my brother always says, my brother Daniel. Um, I have two brothers that keep me a little crazy, but they also keep me a little sane. Um, And something my brother says on a regular basis, he says, if it's not eternally significant, then it's of no significance whatsoever. Everything else eventually goes away. Everything else eventually fades. One day, every person who contributed to science, who contributed to art, politics, economy, education, entertainment, all of those people are gonna be forgotten. But the things that we do that contribute to heaven will never be lost. The things that we do that contribute to heaven will never be lost. So now, let's forget about for pathways for a second, and let's look at the 400,000 people that live in the valley. Out of those What number, if you say the percentage, what number of those people do you think go to church, I don't know, once a month, once a month or more? At least once a month. What percentage would you say? 25%, 30%, 10%. The number is 50%. It's almost exactly half in Wisconsin. Other states it's less, some it's more. That means there's 200,000 people that attend church about once a month. Now, those are, some of those people only go once a month. Some of those people go every single week. So there's a pretty broad uh, group of people here. And out of those, the, uh, according to some stats, 36% of Christians, not just everybody, but 36% of Christians in Wisconsin say that their faith is very important to them, which means the other 64% say their faith is not important to them or it's just moderately important. So there's 36%. You know what number that leaves us? 72,000 people. 72,000 people that are contributing to their church, that are connected at their church, that have a growing community, that have relationships that are Christians, that are in that community of believers, that are really connected members of the body of Christ. That leaves 328,000 people who are not. 328, that's not including Green Bay, that's not including like any of the major cities. This is within half an hour of this church. 328,000 people who are lost and don't have a savior, ones who need Jesus, the ones who aren't connected to the body. 
I know I've used a lot of numbers and we talked a lot about Pathways Church, but this is not a message about Pathways Church and how we wanna build to be the largest church in America. It's not about our status or our popularity. It's not even supposed to be about us at all. This is about the 328,000. It's about them. I guarantee you that there's other churches in the valley that know that number, that are looking for ways to reach the 328,000, that are trying their hardest to make a difference and have an eternal impact in the Fox Valley. Churches that wanna see healing and peace and restoration in the lives of people that don't know Jesus. And we all have a role to play, us, just ordinary people that are called to do something extraordinary. We're called to build God's family. That's what God's asking us to do and he's given us the authority to do. In Mark chapter five, there's a story about a lady who's really sick. She's been really sick for a long time now. She's got, she's got this bleeding problem and she's been to doctor after doctor after doctor. She spent her life savings on doctors. None of them can help. I bet by this point, she's probably tried every home remedy that her mother-in-law suggested. She's probably using aluminum-free deodorant right now. Who knows? Uh, if you haven't used aluminum-free deodorant, you know it doesn't do anything. Um, so she's probably tried everything she can. Nothing's working. She's getting sicker and sicker. And at this point, Jesus is walking through this town. He's got this mob of people around him, tons of people. They just want to be close to Jesus. That's all they want. They're trying to see what Jesus is gonna say next. They know he's about to perform a miracle. They're just, it's like a horde of people just crowding Jesus. So much so that he's like bump, like squeezed, bumping past people, can't get through. And this lady, this sick, tired, desperate, depressed lady, is like if I, just one shot, if I can just get one shot at getting close enough to Jesus that I don't even need his name, I don't need him to know my name. I don't need him to see my face. I don't need to talk to him. I don't need anything from him. If I can just get close enough to him, if I can fight through this crowd, that I can just touch the corner of his coat, the hem of his garment, that's all she wanted. She didn't want any attention. She didn't want him to pray for her. She didn't need to introduce herself and start a big revival in town. All she wanted to do was get close enough to just touch his coat. Maybe I can be healed. So she does. She fights through the crowd. I imagine it took all of her energy to get through these people. And when she touches this coat, she's healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? The disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. The only reason these people are here is because they want to touch you. Like you're being knocked around, pushed around, squished. and Like you're, everybody's touching you. He's like, yeah, but there's this one person that touched me. There was something different about this touch. I felt the power of this touch. Somebody touched me. And this lady, she knows he's talking about her. So she steps up and she's like, I did. She tells him her story. And Jesus says, because of your faith, you've been healed. We can't always be Jesus. Some days we're not anywhere close to Jesus. But even when we can't be Jesus, can we be the hem of his coat? Can we be something that's just close enough for the people that are in the valley that are dying, that are reaching and fighting through the crowd and through the noise, that are giving their last energy just to get close to something that might smell like Jesus, that might resemble Jesus, something that's been close to Jesus, someone who knows who he is. If they reach out to you, 
Can they reach you? If all they can get is the him, I can't always be, I can't, I can't ever be Jesus. I can try every day. I'm going to try to be a little more like him, but I can't be Jesus. But I think I can be the hem of his coat. I think I can be the thing that's close enough to him that if people can reach me, maybe they can get something from it. And I think that's the authority that Jesus gave us. He wants us to be that kind of person. Because when these people do, they can find comfort and they can find restoration and they can find recovery and they can find peace and they can find safety and they can find healing. So those are the people we're called to reach. The 328,000 that are just half an hour away from us. And it might just be saving them a seat, just letting them know, asking a coworker, asking one of your playdate parents, whoever you know that's not a connected, contributing believer, part of the body of Christ. If you guys don't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes with me. Statistically, I imagine there are people in this room that are here right now that haven't made that decision to give their life to Christ. And they fought and they've clawed and they're this close. And all we get is the hymn right now. But that's not all we have to accept. If there's people that are in this room that haven't given your life to Jesus and you want to, you want to ask Jesus to be a part of your life. I'm gonna ask you right now if you'll raise your hand. You can be bold about it. I'm the only person looking. I see you in the back. I see you over here on the side. I see you right here in the middle. Hey, buddy. And then I'm gonna give you a second invitation for the ones of us that know Jesus to make the decision to make him a bigger priority, to understand and exercise the authority that he's given us. When I offer this, I might see every hand in the room go up. I don't know exactly what to expect. But if you wanna be one of the ones that makes that difference to the 328,000, you wanna be the ones that can save a seat that the days you can't be Jesus, maybe you can be the hem of his coat. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. If you have your hand up right now, this is an agreement to go further and to do more, to be bolder, to be braver, to be more faithful. This is our chance to make a difference, even though, even though our names are never gonna go down in history. Even though sometimes we feel like nobodies, we're the ones Jesus has called. We're the ones. They're gonna be the hem of his garment. That when somebody's reaching for Jesus, maybe they can reach us. Now for the ones that just made the decision to give your life to Christ for the first time, I'm gonna ask everybody say this prayer with me. I'm gonna ask that we all say this together. We wanna be in support and encouragement of the person and the people that have given their life to Christ. So please repeat after me, dear Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for anything I've done 
that separates me from you. Come live in my heart. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, everybody here at Pathways said amen. Would you guys celebrate with me for the people that just made the biggest decision in their lives?